Reading from the Gospel according to Mark, the ninth chapter, beginning with the thirtieth verse. They left that place and passed through Galilee. Jesus did not want anyone to know where they were because he was teaching his disciples. He said to them, The Son of Man is going to be delivered into the hands of men. They will kill him. And after three days, he will rise. But they did not understand what he meant and were afraid to ask him about it. They came to Capernaum. When he was in the house, he asked them, What were you arguing about on the road? But they kept quiet, because on the way they had argued about who was the greatest. Sitting down, Jesus called the twelve and said, Anyone who wants to be first must be the very last, and the servant of all. He took a little child whom he placed among them, taking the child in his arms. He said to them, Whoever welcomes one of these little children in my name welcomes me. And whoever welcomes me does not welcome me, but the one who sent me. The Word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. So I asked you earlier if lying was a good thing, and we were all of one accord that lying is bad. But do you remember when you were a kid or when you were a teenager and when you were a young adult and you thought lying was the way to go? Remember that time when something happened to you and your first concern was to preserve either your social status or your rear end? What did you do? You told a lie. All of us have done it. Well, maybe some of you hadn't. I don't know. I've told more of them than I would want somebody to count off for me. How about that? And what I've learned about lying is a couple things. Number one, if you tell one lie, you're going to have to tell another. And number two, my memory has never been good enough to keep up with what I told who. And sooner or later, I'll get caught. Lying is often done in an interest of looking great, right? Very often we tell lies to make somebody else look bad. Very often that's our sole reason to do it. We want to look better by tearing somebody else down. Boy, that's a hurtful thing, isn't it? Is there anything more hurtful than finding out that somebody you loved and trusted has been telling lies about you? Or maybe even just twisting the truth to their advantage? And some people find that to be a simple way of life. I read a story about a guy who died, and when he got to heaven, and y'all know I don't like these got-to-heaven jokes because they make a mockery of our faith, but this one's funny, so I'm going to tell it. But he got to heaven, and he saw a big wall full of clocks, and he asked somebody, hey, what's up with all the clocks? And he said, oh, those are the lie clocks. Those count lies. And he said, wow. That's not good. I've told a bunch of lies and and the angel just kind of shook his head. And The guy said, but I see one that's not moving. Whose clock is that? Oh, that's Moses' clock. He didn't tell a lie. And the guy said, well, I hate to ask, but 
could you point my clock out? He said, no, sir, your clock is on the ceiling in God's office. We use it as a fan. (laughs) How can we keep lying from becoming our base mode of operation? It's pretty simple. Desire to be the servant of all. It's typically the reason that we tell lies is we want to lift ourselves up above other people. We want to appear better than we really are. We don't want somebody that, to think poorly of us. We don't want to disappoint somebody. I would be willing to bet that most of the lies I told my parents, I told them because I didn't want them to be disappointed in me. Which seems counterintuitive, doesn't it? There were two boys playing one day, and the teacher asked them, Why are you arguing? And one boy said, We found a $10 bill and decided to give it to the one who could tell the biggest lie. And the teacher said, You should be ashamed of yourselves. When I was your age, I didn't even know what a lie was. And one of the little boys handed the $10 bill to the teacher. When I read this story about these disciples walking along, arguing about who's the greatest, I can just imagine what they're saying, trying to prove that they're better than the others, and I bet most of it wasn't true, because you know where they were coming from? They had just left the site of that place where the man brought his son to them to heal the boy. Remember, he had a demon, and he was convulsing, and they tried and tried, and nothing would happen, and Jesus came and talked to the man and said, Hey, if you only believe... And he said, Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. Remember that story? And the disciples said, Lord, why couldn't we cast it out? Why couldn't we overcome that demon? And Jesus said, that one only overcomes out with much prayer. And I imagine they felt deflated, don't you? And so when they're walking along, they're arguing about which one of them is the greatest because I think they just suddenly had a dose of medicine that maybe none of them were the greatest, but Jesus was. And when we start trying to prop ourselves up into that place of being the greatest, we forget whose image we're made in. We forget that God's not made in our image, we're made in God's image. And when we tell lies, what we do is we tell untruths about the image of God. We make it sound like God can't accept a flawed person. We make it sound like God can't love a flawed person. We make it sound like God can't be merciful to a flawed person. Do you hear that? But something happened here that can let us know that we can let go of those lies. In John 8, Jesus called the devil a liar. He said he was the father of lies. I read an article this week by a guy named Chad Bird who said that the devil has two favorite lies. The first is with enough effort, you can be perfect. You can keep the law. With enough effort, you can make yourself acceptable to God. You can make yourself perfection before God. You can make yourself sinless. With enough effort, you can keep the Ten Commandments, the Law, and the Prophets, and everything, and walk in perfection, and you will be holy before God with enough effort. It's a lie. Because eventually what will happen is we'll become so proud of ourselves that we tear other people down. Paul said we would boast. Not only that, what would happen if you sat down with a spiral notebook 
and tried to write about all those minutes that you've been perfect in your life, how many pages would you need? One, two, half a page, two lines, a letter, <laughs> half. Ann says half. That's a brave soul. <laughs> we can't achieve that on our own. We can't achieve that greatness ourselves. We can't become who God wants us to be on our own. But the devil would have us believe that we can do it. That if we put enough effort in, we can achieve righteousness all on our own. Because you know what that keeps us from doing? It keeps us from accepting Jesus as our Savior. It keeps us from believing that we need a Savior. It keeps us from be believing that only the blood of Christ can wash away our sins. It makes us believe we can do that with a little bit of elbow grease and some Ajax. And keeping the Ten Commandments. devil likes to tell another lie. The devil likes to tell us that with enough sin, if we just sin enough, God won't have anything to do with us. With enough sin, you can undo the gospel, he says to us. There's never been a person that God doesn't love. Never. How do we know that? You know, we think of Judas very often when that comes up, and we say, well, what about Judas's soul? Well, let's just skip that one. Let's go to the Roman centurion that drove the nails in his hands. I wonder if there's ever been a sin greater than nailing the Son of God to a cross. And yet when the Son of God was raised up on that cross, He looked down on that centurion and said, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. What does that say about the devil's lie that with enough sin we can cause God not to give us life? What does it say about the devil's lie that with enough sin we can undo the gospel? Seems to me it tells us it's not true. But there's something that happens in this story that tells us that both of those lies are untrue. That we don't have to make ourselves perfect by our own effort. And that we can't possibly sin enough that God would stop loving us. And it's not just the disciples arguing or Jesus telling them, if you want to be first, be the last. It's that Jesus picked up the very person who was the last in his society. You see, childhood wasn't the little romantic thing that it is today. We didn't take them to sports leagues and have first birthdays and watch them tear cakes up. Children were property. They were farm hands. Children weren't looked at as just a, a blessing or all the things that we talk about. It wasn't some romanticized childhood that we sat on the couch and talked to our therapist about. They were the least of the society. 
and certainly not someone that a rabbi should be picking up and touching. And if you were to ask me, David, how do you think the disciples reacted to that? I think they were appalled. And you know, in another version of that story, the disciples get mad about it, right? And they start telling the parents to stop bringing their kids to him because it was insulting for the parents to bring their kids to the rabbi. But what did Jesus do? He picked the child up and said, if you want, if you want the kingdom of God, you must be like this child. To be the very last. To be a person that doesn't seek greatness on their own. But be a person being willing to be picked up by the Son of God. Wouldn't the story be different if the child had run away? We probably wouldn't even hear about it. How can we become great in God's eyes? Be worthless people willing to be picked up by the Son of God. Not try to make ourselves great by our own actions or in our own eyes. Definitely not by lying and bringing other people down so that we can look greater compared to them. But to admit that we are last and that we need a Savior. That's how I saw this text this week. I imagine those disciples walking that road and telling lie after lie about how great they were. And then I saw Jesus pick the one up that everybody would have said mattered the least. And hold that one in front of them as an example of how to be great. By trusting Him. I think somehow there's a word from God in that for us. We don't achieve greatness by building ourselves up. We achieve greatness by building others up. We don't become great because of what we do. But we're made holy and righteous because of what Christ has done. My prayer is that we will take that to heart and live it out this week as God sends us into the world. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.